what's all this then? This is looking a lot like winter again, and uh, I... I'm not happy. Not a big fan. No. No. What what do you think? We're we're already seeing postponements in some sporting events. Tough week to be an AD (laughs) with a track meet or a golf meet to try to reschedule. About a half million kids who are trying to run track right now. That gets pretty tough. And the tough thing is... I mean, it's okay for the schools. They can they can change things around, but then you have to line up all of your helpers. Yeah. Not a job I'd want. It is the Rural Radio Network's presentation of Midday, and let's go right over to Jesse Harding here to find out what's going on in the District of Columbia today. I feel like that's all we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks now that we have an agriculture secretary. <laughs> it helps that next week we will actually be in D.C. having these discussions yeah. versus in Nebraska and trying to get them on the phone to have these conversations. But before we get to Washington, D.C., for the 12-13, we're going to get a little bit from Susan Littlefield and insects in your alfalfa. It seems to be like we're seeing them earlier than normal. So we'll get an update there. And then for the 12-19, Dewey Nelson's going to be joined with Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions, talking about the markets and what they're doing. Currently, grains are up just slightly. And then for the newsmaker, out to Washington, D.C., they had a farmer's roundtable on Tuesday, and it was hosted at the White House with President Trump, Vice President Pence, and Secretary Sonny Perdue. And sitting right next to the president during this roundtable was a national FFA officer. I saw that. Yes. And so she, we're going to talk with her. Her name is Valerie Early. She is the Central Region Vice President for National FFA and from Minnesota. So she talks about what happened there at the roundtable, what was like to be a youth in agriculture, to have a seat at the table, and what it also means to FFA members to have an FFA representative at a discussion like that. What an experience that she's going to tell us about. I'm kind of jealous. Yeah. That's awesome for yeah. her to have. Jason Jorgensen's over here with sports. NFL draft gets rolling tonight. Yeah. Cleveland's on the clock. <laughs> hold you hold your laughter. Will they trade it away? Will they, what do they do? Who knows? Who cares? I don't know. Hopefully for them, it ends up being a good draft pick. This reminds me of a movie that came out a couple of years ago, which I thought was a pretty good movie. I know, I know others disagreed. <laughs> it's called Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Oh. And in that movie, he's in charge of the lowly Cleveland Browns, and he has the number one draft pick. And he makes some side moves, and it all works out for the Browns that particular day. How did I miss that one? Well, it wasn't a big hit, Dirk. It's a sleeper, okay? All right. Two thumbs it's up a, for me. It's a cult classic. <laughs> that one. So uh, Cleveland is on the clock. Denver will pick 20th. Kansas City will go 27th. We'll talk about that. Also, it was on this date, 1983, that Nolan Ryan became the all-time leader in strikeouts in Major League Baseball history. That year, he was going back and forth with Steve Carlton. He got the lead on this date and never gave it up. The big unit. Mm-hmm. All right. Time to take a look at business with Bob Brogan. Stock indexes edging mostly lower in midday trading on Wall Street. Jobless claims tick up. Mortgage rates rise pending home sales slip. And so we're watching some of those things. Also, a judge has overturned a decision to bar four Nebraska beer stores from selling next to an American Indian reservation in South Dakota. So we're following that story as well today, and that has kind of hinges on business, so uh, we're watching that, too. Lots of listening ahead for you today on Midday. 
Well, let's ask resident weather watcher Paul Perkins what's up here with all this cold and all this rain, and suddenly we seem like we backed into winter again. Yeah, first off on the cold this morning, got down to 21 this morning <laughs> at Valentine. Uh, not far behind, Thedford made it down to 24 in central Nebraska. Quite a few locations with a hard freeze, 25 at Aurora, Broken Bow, Grand Island, and Holdridge for their morning lows, and a lot of other locations not too far off from that. My heavens. Regional Ag Weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Yankee dealer, Holdridge, Lexington, Alda, and Ravenna. And right now we do have a little bit of light rain starting to move into southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and also those nearby parts of northeast Colorado, that area of low pressure. Increasing those cloud cover for today, and the rain chances will be increasing from west to east today thanks to a strengthening area of low pressure over southeast Colorado. That will track to the east. Rain likely tonight as that disturbance rotate around that low. Those rain chances gradually drop off for tomorrow into tomorrow night as the low departs. So we will see a brief lull in the precipitation in between systems. We'll see another gradual feed of moisture resume on Saturday as the main low expected to move from Texas to central Iowa. That's going to set up a very favorable pattern for quite a bit of rain over the next few days. Colder air on the back side of this low, allowing for some snow to mix in with that rain. The highest likelihood of seeing some snow with this system coming on late Saturday into Sunday. Now, accumulation totals rather difficult to determine right now, but it could look very wintry in some areas, Sunday and Sunday night. So just take note, we could see some snow this weekend. But the good thing is we're going to see some very beneficial moisture. Several areas could pick up 2 to 3 inches in liquid precipitation in the next four days. Most locations likely to see an inch and a half to 2 and a half inches, once again, of liquid precipitation. You can view that rain total forecast map on our Facebook page with KRVN. A warming trend begins early next week and more rain chances return by Tuesday into Wednesday. That doesn't look as favorable for rain chances early next week. A ridge of high pressure appears likely late next week that brings some dry weather and moderating temperatures. In the long term, temperatures forecast to be cooler than normal in Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. Tuesday through May 10th, especially the early and mid part of next week for us. In central Nebraska, daytime highs usually average in the upper 60s those first 10 days of May. The active weather pattern drops off in Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the 10th, but near normal to drier than normal precipitation in the forecast. Freezing temperatures this morning, lowering those soil temperatures at 7 at the 4-inch depth. Soil temperatures in the low 40s found in nearly all of Nebraska into northwest and north-central Kansas. The rest of Kansas with soil temperatures into mid to upper 40s. And over the next three days, tomorrow through Sunday, we're only looking at daytime highs in much of central Nebraska only in the low to mid 40s. Dryness concerns continuing to disappear in the latest drought monitor. Abnormally dry conditions still found in south-central and southwest Nebraska. It's in an area along and south of a line from a cook to Kearney and St. Paul, which is just north of Grand Island. There's still moderate drought in southwest Nebraska from Imperial to around Sydney. Weather factors that market traders are considering today include rain and colder temperatures in the Midwest and Plains. That main storm set to arrive on the Plains this weekend could drop as much as 7 to 9 inches of rain over the next several days from southeast Illinois to northwest Arkansas. More delays in corn and soybean planting likely in much of the Midwest and the Plains. The worst of those delays in the western Midwest where it will be colder. Cold weather in the southern plains the next five days bears some watching for possible damage to heading wheat. 
in the Delta. Planting delays for soybeans will increase as it turns wet and stormy for them. In central Brazil, recent rain favored the second crop corn, but drier conditions are expected next week, and that may need to be watched if it's an indicator of the end of the rainy season. In Argentina's weather, more favorable for maturing crops and harvest, with drier weather on the way for the end of the week here through early next week. And if it's okay, I'll try it one more time. Resident weather watcher Paul Perkins. <laughs> Regional ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer, 308-995-4000. Boy, that's a lot of rain for the Ohio Valley and south. There. Yeah, six, to seven to nine inches in some of those locations, southeast Illinois to northwest Arkansas. But a lot of us looking at the potential of one and a half to three inches of rain, over, especially across the southern half of Nebraska and in northern Kansas, and very beneficial on the way. And you are the master of the tongue twister here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get too far down the line. I don't want to. I don't want to have to really uh, bore you with that for, for too much. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. If you haven't already done so, now might be a good time to scout your alfalfa fields. Susan Littlefield explains. The mild winter is going to cause some concerns for alfalfa growers. Alex Nelly, along with his family, live about an hour east of Kansas City, Missouri, and they've already had to deal with insect infestation in their alfalfa. Uh, most problems this year we've had, we had quite a few insects already. There, two weeks ago, we sprayed for aphids and weevils. They're pretty thick and took on the crop there with all the rain we had. And it looks to be like it's been a week and a half since, yeah, right around two weeks, and it's time to, they've already back. It's like they haven't really, they've, they've come back real quick. Yeah, I'd say for the most part, I mean, we've had a mild winter for the last three or four winters, and there hadn't been a real hard freeze here in Missouri to, to kill the bugs. Uh, I mean, I think we had maybe two and a half, three weeks of a good hard freeze and it, it wasn't enough to kill him. Nully said he's already reached the economic threshold to have to treat his alfalfa fields. As for producers in Iowa and Nebraska, reports already of weevils showing up in alfalfa fields. So scouting at this point is your best bet. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Yesterday, President Trump said that the United States would be pulling out of the North American Free Trade Agreement and agriculture groups voiced their disconcerns and Trump spoke with the Mexican President and Prime Minister of Canada, later saying he would renegotiate the deal. And Nebraska Farm Bureau President Steve Nelson says that President Trump's decision to renegotiate NAFTA between the United States, Canada and Mexico versus completely withdrawing from the trade compact is clearly the right decision. Stepping away from trade agreement that has proven track record of creating jobs and generating billions of dollars for Nebraska agriculture in the state's broader economy would be a mistake of epic proportions. He says, and I quote, today roughly 30% of farm income is generated from international trade, with NAFTA being a major contributor. We will watch these negotiations closely to make sure any renegotiations do not come at the expense of revisions that benefit Nebraska's farm and ranch families. End of quote. President Trump releasing the statement where he says, and I quote, I decided rather than terminating NAFTA, which would be a pretty big, you know, shock to the system, we will renegotiate. Now, if I'm unable to make a fair deal for the United States, meaning a fair deal for our workers in our companies, I will terminate NAFTA. But we're going to give it a renegotiation, a good, strong shot. End of quote. Starting in May, the USDA's National Animal Health Monitoring System 
We'll ask pig farmers who have at least 1,000 hogs in a farm in any of the top 13 pork-producing states about their on-farm antimicrobial use and their related stewardship practices. The states in our area include Colorado, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. The National Agriculture Statistics Service will contact producers in the 13 states and ask for their permission to participate in this study. Later in the summer, those who agree to participate will meet with a veterinarian from USDA Animal Plant Health Inspection Service who will conduct the survey. Importantly, the study will protect participants' privacy by not revealing names or contact information associated with individual data. And Jan Archer, National Pork Board President and Pig Farmer from North Carolina says, and I quote, As an industry, we welcome the latest effort by USDA to get accurate information to the public about how America's pig farmers actually use antibiotics. That's been a look at agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Today we talk with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. We've discussed this a little bit earlier that grains are somewhat taking a back seat to the livestock futures, but in the, at the same time it appears to be relatively low volume, not a huge amount of movement. However, wheat is gaining, and Kansas City wheat, I guess, leading the parade uh, today as compared to earlier this week when spring wheat was higher. Dean, what is, what is this all stemming from? Is the weather the still the most important factor? Yeah, and, and probably some of your listing area has experienced that firsthand. Um, you know, that, that north-central Kansas area got uh, colder than uh, expected, and there's more cold weather expected to come in. And so some concern about how much uh, damage there might be in the areas that were affected. You're looking at you know, probably about 40% of Kansas with some impact. So, you know, we've got plenty of wheat so that moderates some of these uh, issues. But, you know, if, that's putting uh, Kansas City May up uh, seven and a half right now. And and uh, so it's a story. And right now you've got a uh, fun situation in Chicago wheat and uh, in the corn, uh, the, the, the uh, corn market. You know, they're very short. So it's been kind of a whipsaw trade here, whether it's, uh, you know, the fear over NAFTA and some trade issues or then... You know, we've got some good export um, sales and good export uh, inspections, so the demand is there. But it's just been kind of low news, you know, ample supply, uh, funds still trying to sell the market here ahead of uh, ahead of the growing season. What's the latest as far as these May first notice day? Yeah, so you've got a little bit of uh, support. You got May options are off the board. Today's first notice day, so Long's uh, risking getting delivered on, so you're getting some of those gyrations. Um, not much news really uh, that you're seeing from a, from a first notice day, but just kind of a generally supported uh, trade, pretty much across wheat, beans, um, and corn. What's your thoughts as far as the weather is concerned with? possible delays and what part of the country will they experience it the most yeah so you know they're uh, they're getting some snow up in the in the northern corn belt north dakota and minnesota areas up in there cold and snowy so uh, not your typical um april may time frame so that's slowing things down for them eastern corn belt has had a, a pretty good window and has made great progress in getting caught up on their pace 
And uh, right now the question is really the uh, there's about three waves of, of rain coming in, um, you know, that we're in the middle of right now. And we're expecting really over the Corn Belt, especially in the east, um, a, a colder, wetter pattern here the next week or so. And it's uncertain. It uh, looks like we might be drying out after that. But if that wet weather is uh, to come to fruition, and especially the heavier rains, uh, it may be a while for these guys to try to even plant the remaining corn crop or just wait for soybean planting, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, you would expect it to now flatten out that planting progress as we move into multiple days of uh, non-progress. Um, so we'll see what this 10-day looks like after the next week. That's for sure. Thanks, Dane. Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. You can go to waterstreet.org or call Water Street Solutions at 866-249-2528. As we speak on this program, corn is two to two and three quarters higher. Uh, soybeans two and a half to three higher. Kansas City wheat as much as seven and three quarters higher in that July contract. Dewey Nelson reporting. It's the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Cleveland is on the clock as the NFL draft starts up tonight in Philadelphia. San Francisco will pick second. Denver has the 20th pick in the first round, and Kansas City picks 27th. Now, Denver held its first mini-camp under new head coach Vance Joseph recently, and wideout Emmanuel Sanders likes the direction the offense is headed under new coordinator Mike McCoy. Well, obviously, you know, we're going to throw the ball a lot more. Uh... A lot of underneath routes. Uh, today we were able to throw the ball down the field. I think Benny and Paxton connected on a deep ball when we did on the ball, and I think he scored, even though they didn't give it to us. But, uh, you know, I'm excited. You know, I remember this offense from 2014. I labeled it wide receiver heaven, you know, and it's, it's very pass happy, uh, and, and, and that's everything as a receiver what you want. So I'm excited. Another NFL news, Marshawn Lynch is coming out of retirement after agreeing on a new two-year deal with the Raiders that paved the way for a trade to his hometown team in Oakland. Lynch passed a physical yesterday and agreed to a restructured two-year contract. Those were the final steps needed before Seattle could trade his rights along with the 2018 draft pick to the Raiders for a 2018 fifth-rounder. Lynch must also apply to the NFL for reinstatement from the retired list before he can play. Winnebago Boys basketball standout David Winget is headed to the Charlotte Basketball Academy. Winget, if you remember, helped lead the Indians to three straight state tournament appearances, including the 2015 Class C-1 state title. Retired New York Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter and former Florida Governor Jeb Bush are reportedly teaming up to buy the Miami Marlins. The Miami Herald reports the two are part of a group joining forces to buy the team for $1.3 billion. The Marlins are currently owned by Jeffrey Loria, who purchased the team in 2002 for $158 million. And sentencing has been scheduled for three former top officials at Penn State who were convicted of child endangerment in the Jerry Sandusky molestation scandal. Former University President Graham Spanier, former Vice President Gary Schultz, and former Athletic Director Tim Curley will be sentenced on June 2nd in Harrisburg. Curley and Schultz pleaded guilty to misdemeanor child endangerment. Spanier went to trial and was convicted in March, but his lawyer says he will appeal. And do you remember this? It was on this date in 1983 that Nolan Ryan became the Major League's all-time leader in strikeouts. Of course, that's an honor that he still holds today. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Showers are likely this afternoon. Highs in the mid-50s for tonight. Showers and not as cool. Lows in the upper 30s. And then for your Friday, rain in the morning, then a chance of rain in the afternoon. Colder highs in the mid to lower 40s. From the newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. President Trump said on Wednesday the U.S. will stay with the North American Free Trade Agreement for now. Nebraska U.S. Senator Ben Sass said leaving NAFTA would be a mistake. Scrapping NAFTA would be a disastrously bad idea. It would hurt American families at the checkout, and it would cripple American producers in the field. Yes, there are definitely places where our agreements could be modernized. But here's the bottom line. Trade lowers prices for American consumers, and trade expands markets for American goods. Risking trade wars is reckless, not wise. Trump has said that Canada and Mexico must renegotiate the trade agreement with all due haste if they want the U.S. to remain part of it. At the end of Tuesday evening's Lexington Regional Health Center board meeting, two members announced their resignation from the board. The board took no action on the resignations of Dr. Mark Jones and Dr. Wayne Weston pending a review of bylaws on handling board resignation. Dr. Jones has served on the board since June of 2015 following a primary election. Dr. Weston was into the 11th month of his four-year term. He had previously served three terms on the board in the early years of the formation of the hospital district. Dr. Jones is a partner in the physician-owned Plum Creek Medical Group. All of its medical staff renounced their privileges to admit patients into the hospital in an ongoing rift between the medical group and the health center. Jones said that it seems like for the first five years... He has been defending himself, and his conscience is clear. He says he works for the community of Lexington first. He continued that he wants to see the hospital do well, and he says that Lexington has a good hospital. He lamented that his long-term relationship with many health center and staff members have soured over the rift. He said he's sad about that, but there's nothing much he can do. Since being elected, Weston said he found the board meetings have been too difficult to attend due to conflicts. He said that doesn't serve the public well if he's not there. One of the main reasons he ran for the hospital board was to try to mend the relationship between the medical group and the health center. But after making some efforts toward that end, he concluded that there just was not going to be any reconciliation between Plum Creek and the hospital, and that was a big reason for him running. Pending the acceptance of Dr. Jones and Dr. Weston's resignations, the three remaining health center board members include Rob Anderson, Amber Atkerson, and Tara Napperstaff. News happens anytime, anywhere. Send word to us with a tip under the news tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Taking place on Tuesday was a Farmers Roundtable and National FFA had a seat at the table. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. On the phone with us is Valerie Early. She is the Central Region Vice President for the National FFA Organization, also from Minnesota. Valerie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself here to begin with? Sure. I'm Valerie Early, like you said, and grew up on a small outside of a small town in Wyckoff, Minnesota. Uh, my family had beef cattle, crops, and dairy steers. And so growing up in agriculture was a huge blessing for me and was able to make that uh, my passion through FFA and went to college at the University of Minnesota for agricultural communications and marketing and just graduated this last December. So I'll be looking for a job in ag communications after this year. And when it comes to the Farmers' Roundtable that was held, you as an FFA member and a national officer was able to participate. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Roundtable as a whole and what that was? So the Roundtable discussion was 
session that happened in the White House with the president, the vice president, and the secretary of agriculture, Sonny Perdue. And so there's 12 farmers and myself, and we sat around the table, talked about issues in agriculture uh, that are that farmers are facing right now and that we will be facing in the future. And so it was awesome. Uh, it was a great opportunity for us to really get our thoughts out there. And uh, he was very very accepting of them and wanted to move forward and uh, really give agriculturalists a chance to to do well in the market. When it comes to those discussions, what were some of those topics that came up that you were able to participate in? I think one of the biggest topics was labor and immigration and how that affected agriculture. And then secondly, trade was huge. Just trying to get those markets opened up for agriculture, I think, is a huge step in the right direction. And then third, we talked about regulation reform, and lastly, a little bit about infrastructure. What was it like for you to be so young, to be a youth in agriculture, sitting at the table with the president, the vice president, the secretary of agriculture, talking about issues that are important to agriculture? I just was in awe of what was happening. Um, they were they were so willing to listen to us, and um, it just made me really hopeful for the future of agriculture and for people my age who want to continue going into agriculture, you know, it's a blessing to sit around that table with leaders of the U.S. um, and leaders in agriculture. Debbie Duvall, the president of Farm Bureau, was there and some commissioners of agriculture from around the U.S. as well as farmers um, who work hard every day. So it was just a really awesome opportunity and I just am really passionate about what was happening. We are talking with Valerie Early. She is a Central Region Vice President for the National FFA Organization who participated in a Farmers' Roundtable with the President, Vice President, and Secretary of Agriculture on Tuesday. Valerie, when we are talking about this discussion, being a youth in agriculture still representing the National FFA Organization, what do you think it means to FFA and the members that you were able to have a seat at the table and represent all FFA youth and youth in agriculture? I think it shows the power of the FFA jacket and the traditions that have been created around that jacket. I think having a seat at that table uh, means that people recognize the power that can happen in that jacket when people begin seeing careers they can have in agriculture and how they can become a leader in not only FFA but in the future of agriculture. And so I think that's really what it meant not only to me, but hopefully to members all across our country um, and in those states that that this will be played in. When it comes to youth and agriculture, you're spending a lot of time traveling the United States as a national FFA officer. What are some of those things that maybe you learned through your journey so far as a national officer that you were also able to bring to the table, having that direct connection? Sure. I was in just in Nebraska, actually, not too many weeks ago, and you know, traveling the country, I've just really learned that agriculture touches everyone. And no matter what is produced in each state, uh, there has to be strong people behind that production and, and just leading that. And so I think some of the things I've learned is to just be flexible. There's always going to be challenges that come up, uh, whether it's traveling or whether it's in agriculture. And so uh, being flexible and just being willing to make connections with every person you come in contact with um, are some huge lessons I've learned. Just really figuring out how to how to trust God through every situation and really just let him lead me where I need to be. When it comes to the roundtable, the president also signed an executive order. Any final thoughts and feelings about your day on Tuesday? 
I'm just really excited to see uh, where that conversation takes us, and I think it will be good for the future of agriculture. It's a busy time with state conventions going on for you, Valerie. What will be upcoming? Sure. I will be heading to Georgia for their state FFA convention and then back to Indy after that for a board meeting. Well, Valerie, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about the opportunity you had to participate in the Farmers Roundtable at the White House with President Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, and the newly voted on Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. We've been talking with Valerie Early. She is the Central Region Vice President for the National FFA Organization, originally from Minnesota, who participated in the Farmers Roundtable. For the World Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. We're back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities on the limit up moves in the cattle futures today. Had to have been based probably on those large, higher cash prices paid in the country. Yeah, there's a couple of things that uh, the uh, renegotiation with NAFTA also uh, spurred a lot of buying, too, as well as the uh, cash trading up to as high as I've heard, uh, 137. Uh, so obviously that uh, pulled the uh, futures, which are extreme discount to that, especially when you look at the uh, June and contracts on back. Those are extreme uh, discounts. So uh, all of a sudden uh, we got a lot of short covering, a lot of renewed buying, and up we went. The uh, April contract, which expires tomorrow, didn't uh, finish limit uh although it really doesn't have limits uh, anymore, but uh, uh, it didn't. Feeder cattle followed the suit, went straight up. Uh, the April uh, uh, feeders expired today at noon. They uh, they closed uh, higher, but, you know, they're tied into the, uh, the uh, feeder index. But uh, a lot of optimism uh, in the cattle market today, uh, so it brought on uh, a lot of extreme buying uh, today both short covering and new longs. Uh, now over in the hogs, cash a little bit higher today, and uh, cutouts, uh, well, let's just call them pretty pretty close to steady, and uh, that uh, uh, brought on some uh, renewed interest with the cash showing a little bit more firmness, and they finish higher also. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You can reach him at 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. An agreement not to terminate, at least at this time. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Late yesterday afternoon, President Donald Trump spoke with both the President of Mexico and the Prime Minister of Canada. Both conversations were pleasant and productive. President Trump agreed not to terminate NAFTA at this time, and the leaders agreed to proceed swiftly, according to their required internal procedures, to enable the negotiation of the NAFTA deal to the benefit of all three countries. U.S. Grains Council President and CEO Tom Slight said that they were shocked and distressed to see news reports coming out that the Trump administration was even considering an executive order to withdraw from NAFTA. Well, it, it just uh, makes uh, things difficult because uh, you know, relationships with you know valued, long-standing customers uh, are becoming strained, and the, the discussions are becoming difficult uh, in terms of you know why are you why are you doing this to us? You know uh, why 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 are you treating Mexico like this? 
And so it, it, it definitely complicates our job, and um, you know, especially when a lot of really strong growth and you know that Mexico market is very dynamic for U.S. Uh, fee grade interests as well as uh, you know value added co product interests. So uh, it just makes life a little bit more difficult for us. We did learn when we were down in Panama the the importance of what this Mexican market means to our growers, and obviously that's got to have as you mentioned your guys's full attention. What are we looking at economic windfall? Should this all potentially happen with a withdrawal from NAFTA before we sit down to the table to even discuss? Well, I think you have to sort of look at a case by case. Let's let's use an example of you know Mexico's not going to walk away entirely from the U.S. market, but they you know they could start to taper back and and find markets elsewhere or find suppliers elsewhere. You know, let's just say we we lose a ten percent of our market share. That's going to have an immediate effect. Uh, you know, uh, you know, at, in, at farms around the Midwest in terms of basis uh, uh, points, in terms of, uh, you know, they're not going to be, you know, that, that price could start to, to drop because our competitors are, are willing to sell for less. Um, and you're going to start to see, uh, you know, that impact, you know, come at a time when no one wants to see that price moving down. They want to see it moving up. What about from a Canada's perspective? I know there's been a little bit of uh, disagreements as of late, especially when it comes to the dairy perspective. But from the grain side, how do you see NAFTA affecting affecting our relationship with Canada? Well, Canada, you know, they're not a huge, uh, you know, top ten importer, but they are a significant importer of, of grain. But more importantly, there are a number right now. They're second largest ethanol uh, importer. And so, uh, you know, again, when we're going to start slapping tariffs on Canadian products. Uh, you know, that we don't want to see that. You know, the work we've done to get that new market built, uh, you know, start to go the other way. Tom, at this point, I mean, I think you have the same feeling that everybody else did that we were working towards some sort of negotiation. This kind of came out of left field. Yeah, it was, was surprising. You know, and again, you know, it was just a report of this. I mean, there's no actual executive order out, so maybe. Uh, you never know how you know things work in this town. You, you know, you always have a, a little bit of uh, wonder. But yeah, I mean, we thought we things were kind of moving along to a nice rational discussion. Uh, certainly, there was a strong recognition among the administration of the value of uh, ag trade to, to U.S. farmers. The immediate reaction from those at agriculture was swift and strong, with statements coming backed by those in both the U.S. House and Senate comments with the CEO and president of the U.S. Grains Council, Tom Slight. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Grain and soybean futures finished higher today, led by Kansas City wheat futures. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So we see the large worldwide supplies of wheat, and yet we finished, uh, you know, substantially higher, eight and a half higher Kansas City futures. Is still the potential there for upside moves or not? Oh, absolutely. I think you got to look at the Feb highs is probably your target. Before we get there, I'd say if you're, if you're tracking this on the radio, and the charting on the radio is always fantastic, I know, but uh, 450 is the 200, 100-day moving average. So right in those areas there, that'll be the first target for us. Kind of feels, I don't say a no-brainer, but it feels like we're going to go there. Wouldn't be shocked if we're there by the weekend. Uh, then it's about whether or not this stuff verifies, and if we start to get some, uh, you know, real cold temperatures, or if the, the crop progress reports start to show some damage, we are going to have that Kansas winter wheat tour next week. Um, then it's about, you know, maybe 470, 480 
get above five bucks, though, we're going to have to see some problems over in the Black Sea. Uh, right now, things are developing, but not quite as, quote-unquote, dire as they are here right now as the forecast point to cold temps. Switch over to Chicago wheat futures. The disease situation that may develop with the rains and the too much moisture, so there's some upside potential there, too. Yeah, and I think you're, you're seeing KC run the Chicago. There are a lot of shorts on the KC side that are, that are bailing out here. Um, real quick, we were, I think, seven under. Uh, Kansas City was cheaper than Chicago a week ago. We're now four more expensive. So, uh, you know, we've kind of seen that weather premium come in. Uh, Chicago had a really poor export number this morning, and we're just not moving any soft soft product at this point. I even saw some cancellations there. So I think it really comes down to production. Uh, I do will say on the on the Chicago side, that's where the acreage is, is a lot less. So I expect a really weak production number. But at this point, we're just not moving enough to get that low prices, cure low prices argument. Not saying that we're going to go much lower than there, but you know, to get a really big pop, I think we need to see some big demand come in. And, and at this point, it's kind of unforeseen without the uh, help from the foreign markets. Well, and tomorrow is last trading day of the week and the month. So things that might change as far as corn and soybeans, too? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why we closed wheat today. Um, you know, if you have corn in storage, you probably got a call today, the last week, about price or roll time. So this is the last day uh, to price or roll. In fact, uh, if you really played the pattern of the December and the September deliveries, you wouldn't be buying that first notice day on the next month. So it'll be a really interesting Sunday night trade. I know I've been anticipating these kind of months for a while. It, I, I kind of hope for the farmer's sake we do get a little bit of a freeze and, and get some pop here. Well, traders like volatility. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Dewey Nelson reporting.